We want to welcome everyone as we gather this morning for praise and worship. And, uh, you know, our, our Sunday morning uh, discussion group, we're taking our dear sweet time going through the first few verses, establishing the foundation. So uh, w things will pick up as we go a little farther along, but we're making sure the foundation is, is laid first. Uh, have worship practice tomorrow night uh, for the worship team. Uh, Tuesday studies on chapter uh, Acts 7, Wednesdays, 1 Timothy 6. Saturdays, Romans 5. If you can't find a Bible study in this church, then, hey, there's something, something wrong with you, right? If you can't find a, a Bible study that works. Uh, so uh, we had talked about the possibility of a Super Bowl party, which would be uh, next week, if I'm correct on that, right? So uh, I think Monica is going to do some troubleshooting to see if we could get the game here or not. Is that right, Monica? So... Uh, so Monica is going to see if it's possible to get it here, uh, and if so, we'll host it here. Uh, if not, uh, we'll either need a host place uh, because we don't have TV, uh, regular TV either. So uh, if somebody else wants to host, so just kind of watch your email. Uh, the plan is to have one if we can make it work. Uh, so we'll try here first, and if not, we'll need a, a host place if, if, uh, if we're going to do it. So just kind of watch details for that. Uh, February 25th is when we're rescheduled the, uh, uh, the snowed out congregational meeting. Uh, so uh, you remember we had to postpone in January due to weather. So we'll do that on February 25th. Uh, we'll do the, the lunch after service and then uh, the congregational meeting. I think I put on your communication card, uh, actually probably bo both Super Bowl party as well as that. I think I did. You know, I've slept since then, right? And I'm older now. <laughs> Uh, so uh, you can mark your communication card, and we'll start taking RSVPs for, for that as well. So with that, uh, we'll uh, have prayer, and we'll go to the Lord in some worship and praise. Oh, glorious Lord, we just give you praise uh, for this morning that we can gather and that we can uh, fellowship and worship and praise your name, uh, that we could uh, intercede for one another, encourage one another. Uh, we know that there's just uh, so many things that are taking place, uh, not only in the world around us, but in our lives personally. You know, loved ones who are going through uh, physical needs, emotional needs, uh, spiritual needs. You know, people are dealing with uh, sickness and people are dealing with uh, loss of loved ones. Uh, Lord, the, the needs are great. Uh, and so we're just thankful that your grace is greater. And we pray that uh, whatever people may be walking through as we gather today, that uh, that they would just draw near to you and to your throne, and that they would find not only access to the throne of grace through Jesus Christ, but they would also find the grace that, that they, they need for whatever challenges and trials they may face. Uh, Lord, we just uh, we lift up uh, the service today that your anointing would be upon us, and we just pray that your, your presence would be felt as we come in Jesus' name, who's taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We got a little emphasis that time. Uh, good morning. I want to start us off in Psalm 146 this morning. I'm just going to read a little portion of it. Um, Hallelujah. My soul praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing to my God as long as I live. We are going to do that this morning. Would you please stand as you are able? We'll start with our, our new song from last week, Christ, Our Hope in Life and Death. Our day. 
He is so good, so good. Hallelujah. Psalm 147. Hallelujah. How good it is to sing to our God, for praise is pleasant and lovely. And we have a wonderful, merciful Savior.
pedal was getting away from me. <laughs> okay. We will continue on um, with His Mercy is More. Thank you. Yeah, it was out of reach. <gasps> Appreciate it. <laughs> My legs are only so long. All right, His Mercy is More. It is so much more than we could ever imagine. This morning's reading is from the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 17 through 24. I'll be reading from the ESV. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In the same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, 
Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. May the Lord's blessing be on the reading and Pastor Dan's message. Uh, Nora Newport shares this story, uh, and I quote, she said, uh, As we returned from vacation Bible school one summer day, my young daughter Melissa asked if we could stop by the library. When I asked her why, she explained, Well, this morning, my teacher told me that the only way we get into heaven is if our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I just want to make sure my name's in there. You know, I, I'm, uh, I'm pretty sure that you probably won't find the Lamb's Book of Life in the library, but it does certainly draw from the Old Testament imagery of a book of life in which the names of the righteous are written and the names uh, of those who belong to God that they're written in his book. And, you know, isn't this a, a beautiful thought when you think about the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who created everything that it is, the, the God who knows all the stars uh, knows your name? Isn't that a powerful thought? God knows your name. And as we look at our text today, he's going to say, Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, that reflects the idea of being counted as those who belong to Jesus. Uh, your faith puts you in his book. Isn't that a, a beautiful thought? Your faith puts you in his book. Now, we rejoice in many things in life. You know, and I just kind of was uh, thinking, what are some of the things we rejoice in? We rejoice in things like family and work and promotions retirement, grandchildren, right? We rejoice in experiences, pay raises, uh, memories we've created, uh, achievements we've had. Uh, you know, uh, in the context of this last week, we rejoice in making it to another birthday, right? Uh, but when was the last time that you simply rejoiced in the fact that you belonged to Jesus? When was the last time you simply rejoiced in your relationship to him? And that your name is written in his book. You know, sometimes it becomes too easy to lose sight of and take for granted the most important things of life while we elevate the things of lesser importance. And so last week, we uh, examined Jesus sending out the 72, or some translations have 70. Uh, we talked about the manuscripts last week. Uh, this week, we're going to look at their return, right? So we kind of, we, we took this one passage, and we're, we're kind of breaking it into two parts. So last week, they got sent out. This week, we're looking at their return. And in their return, we see the, the normal tendency that we have, and that tendency is to uh, rejoice in achievement. And what Jesus does in our text is he redirects us to rejoice in our status, right, as those who have their names written in heaven. Uh, but as we kind of build to that point, when we answer God's call, we discover that God can do more through us than what we expect God to do. So this is where we're going to start with the return of the 72. So verse 17 uh, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So the 72 unnamed disciples return and report on the response that they received. And they're in amazement because what they experienced as they went out on the mission field was more than they expected, right? And that's what's kind of highlighted by the language, right? Lord, even the demons were subject to us in our name. We didn't expect this to happen. This is even better than we imagined. This was better than we expected, right? Now, if you go back to when they were commissioned to go out on their mission, right, it was a little bit different than when Jesus sent out the 12. If you go back, uh, what was their commission in verse 9? It was to heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom. Nothing was said at that point of casting out demons, and yet they come back and they're like, Wow, we saw more than we expected. So they're kind of, they're coming back and they're on cloud nine and, and rightfully so, right? Because as you think about what else came with their uh, commission to go out into the field. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves or sheep among wolves, right? Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody says, hey, I'm, I'm sending you into this task, I'm sending you out as a, as a lamb amongst wolves, I'm not leaving with a lot of hopefulness with that. 
You know, that's, that, that, that doesn't sound very promising or very encouraging. It doesn't sound very hopeful to go as lambs in the midst of wolves. But that was part of what Jesus said to them. I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And when he sends them out, uh, he sends them without much means. He says, carry nothing extra in verse 4. Right? So they didn't start with much, and they were completely reliant on God's provision. And what they discovered as they return is that God delivered more than they prom- uh, God delivered more than promised, right? Even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now there are a few things that are as exciting as witnessing God work in and through you to impact the lives of others. Uh, and they're clear when they come back that they understand this was God working in and through them, right? They, they were subject to us in your name. This was not our power. This was not our strength. They know, that, uh, they know that what they did was not their doing. It was Jesus doing through them, right? Uh, through the power that Jesus uh, commissioned them with. Uh, now, Don, uh, Donald Tuttle tells the story of a little boy and his father. He says, and I quote, uh, They were walking along a road when they came across a large stone. And the boy looked at the stone and thought about it a little, and then he asked his father, you know, because this is what little boys do. Do you think I, if I used all my strength that I can move that rock? And the father thought for a moment, and he said, well, I, I think if you use all your strength, then you can do it. And that was all the boy needed. He ran over to the rock, and he began to push it. And he pushed, and he pushed so hard that he tried that little beads of sweat began to appear on his forehead. But the rock didn't move. Not an inch, not a half an inch. After a while, the little boy sat down on the ground. His face had fallen. His whole body seemed to be just a a lump there on the earth. You were wrong, he told his dad. I can't do it. And his father walked over to him, knelt beside him, and put his arm around the boy's shoulder. And he said, you can do it, he said. You just didn't use all your strength. You didn't ask me for help. The 72, they come back full of joy because they knew that what they did was none other than Jesus working through them to do what they could not do on their own. But, you know, too often we're kind of like that little boy, aren't we? And we try to do in our strength what we can only do through the strength that God gives to us. Isn't that true? You know, how often is prayer our last resort rather than our first resort? Too often we try to do in our strength what's intended for us to do with the strength that God provides, and and we don't lean into him. Now, Edwards writes, and I quote, "Uh, The experience of discipleship is more, not less, than what Jesus promised. And the powers inherent in the gospel they proclaim are greater than what they were aware of. So they come back rejoicing because God has done through them more than they expected. You know, there are some things things you can learn through study, right? And, and, uh, you know... Uh, some of us, we, you know, we, we may do more study than others, right? Like, uh, like art, I know art's always in the books, right? You're hitting those books hard, right? But there's something, you know, and you can learn so much through study, but can you learn everything through study? No. There's only so much you can learn through study, and there's some things that you could only learn through experience. And it was only through obedience that they learned what Jesus could do through them, uh, and it was only through obedience that they, that they began to grasp the reality of Paul's doxology uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, which I've always thought is just a, a beautiful uh, doxology of praise. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. To him who is able to do abundantly more than we ask or think, according to the power at work where? Within us. It's about what he can do in us and through us in impacting the lives of others. Now, but even with that, for everything that they saw, and as they come back rejoicing in what they've seen God do, for all that they saw God do, God was working in unseen ways as well. So verse 18 And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, there are uh, various viewpoints to Satan's fall here. 
Uh, and so uh, some, if you read them, they'll say, well, this is the vision of the past, right? So it goes back to the original fall. It echoes uh, Isaiah uh, chapter uh, 14. And if you go back and read Isaiah 14, you'll actually read, and in, in the initial context is the fall of the king of Babylon, which became symbolic of the fall of Lucifer, right? If you read through the chapter, so... Uh, so it kind of, uh, in Jewish thought, it kind of combined both, this picture of the fall of the king of Babylon, and then it, uh, uh, interpretive traditions applied it also to the fall of Satan. And if that's the case, right, then it could be kind of a warning. Because on the heels of victory, uh, you know, often comes defeat. Because what do you do? You let it go to your head. Uh, pride goeth before the fall, Right? Uh, others say it's uh, not so much a vision of the past, but it's a vision of the future and Satan's final defeat, right? Because, you know, Satan is still at work. The power of evil is still at work. And so some, some go to, so you have, uh, so I'm giving you the three alternative uh, versions, right? Some say it's a vision from the past. Others say it's a vision of the future. And, and yet others say it's a vision of what presently just occurred, which actually fits with the context better than the past or the future. It's a vision of what they just experienced. What did they just experience? Even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus is saying, hey, it's not just about the demons. There's something bigger going on here. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. The kingdom of God is advancing, and the kingdom of evil is retreating. And God's doing it through you. Isn't that beautiful? Kind of sounds similar to, uh, uh, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, doesn't it? He said, I'm, I'm seeing triumph and victory. And, and the exorcism of demons symbolized the defeat of Satan. Now the verb saw, because I know everybody just loves to dig into the English and the grammar and more specifically the Greek, Right? Uh, the verb saw is in the imperfect tense, which reflects an action and process with no indication of completion. So that kind of fits with the idea of what they're presently seeing as opposed to uh, future or past, right? And so uh, what he's basically saying, you know, the war may not be over, but you're winning battles over the enemy through the strength that Jesus gives you, right? So D.L. Moody said, and I quote, uh, my friends, you are no match for Satan, and when he wants to fight, you just run to your elder brother who is more than a match for all the devils in hell, right? And that's the picture, right? Their, their victory is not because of their doing. It's not because of their strength. It's because of the power of Jesus and what Jesus has commissioned and authorized them to do as they have uh, gone forth. And, and for all the surface ways that they saw God at work, there was this deeper significance to what God was doing. The kingdom of God is advancing, and the kingdom of evil is losing ground. Now, this fits nicely with the next verse, which continues in verse 19, uh, where he says, um, Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Uh, given authority refers to an act in the past that has a, that's still effective in the present. Uh, so they may have returned from their initial mission, but guess what? The work is still not done. There's still work to be done in there. So they've gone forth, they've come back, they're giving a report, but there's still work to do. Uh, you know, and as I, as I think about this, you know, uh, and many of you have already experienced this, you know, your ministry might change from one season to another in your life, doesn't it? You might have one ministry in one season and a different ministry in another season. You know, uh, your skills might change, your experiences change. Uh, we certainly know that what you have the physical abilities to do change changes, right? And your ministry can change over the season, but being available whenever he calls, going wherever, whenever, wherever he leads, and doing whatever he assigns, that's really the essence of following him. And in one season, that might take you one place, and in another season, it might take you another place. I think we just kind of heard some of that this morning, didn't we? I feel God's leading me in a new direction. When Jesus uses the reference here, he says, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. Uh, just for, 
well, we could take a poll to, to have some fun, right? Do you think Jesus is saying, hey, you know what? You guys should just go out and start walking on some rattlesnakes and some scorpions and uh, see how that goes for you. Or do you think he's talking more symbolically? As scorpions and serpents being reflective of the forces of evil. I don't know. Anybody remember a serpent in the garden? There was a serpent in the garden. Anybody remember a wilderness experience where uh, the, the serpents were biting the people of Israel, right? Because they had rebelled against God. And, and we have Moses and, and we have all this. Uh, we can learn so much from Israel, can't we? Because there's so much of Israel in our own hearts and our lives and how, and how we act. Uh, but the language is symbolic, right? It refers to the uh, underscore the ongoing protection, provision, and power that God is giving them. Uh, to do the work that he has assigned to them. And so they return, and they're rejoicing at what God has done, and they receive a promise of more to come, right? I give you authority over the serpents and the scorpions. Uh, so this is like cloud nine. Does it really get any better than this? Well, greater than what God can do through you is what God has done for you. So they're coming back on cloud nine. Verse 20 continues. Jesus says, nevertheless... Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You know, more important than what you do for him is what he has done for you. More substantial than what you do is whose you are. And the language is not to exclude rejoicing and spiritual victories, but the language is to introduce us to a comparison of lesser to greater. As great as their joy, greater still should be their joy that their names are written in heaven. For all that they've seen, for all that they've accomplished, for all the achievements that Jesus just did, for all the ways that God has worked in them and through them in ways beyond what they expected or anticipated, he says, how much more should you rejoice that your names are written in heaven? Because, you know, it means nothing to achieve great things in life, only to be lost in death. It means nothing to have your name written in the headlines if your name is not written in heaven. Uh, Tullian, uh, with a last name that I, I won't even pretend to know how to say, he wrote, uh, at, le at least twice in the past year, I've been late for a meeting or an appointment, and I haven't been able to find my car keys. I know none of you could ever relate to this, okay? Certain that either my wife or one of my children had misplaced them, because it's always somebody else's fault. I can't relate to that. <laughs> I say that with sarcasm, by the way. Certainly that either my wife or one of my children had misplaced them. I'm frantically run from room to room assigning the blame. Who was playing with my keys? I put them right here on the counter, and now they're gone. They didn't just vanish into thin air. Who picked them up? Where are they? I'm late. And right when I'm about ready to order mass executions, I walk into my bedroom one last time to look, huffing and puffing, moaning and groaning, put my hand in my pocket and find my keys. They'd been there the whole time. It's wild, isn't it? You know, in Jesus, we have everything we need. It's there all along. We may not recognize it. We may not appreciate it. We may take it for granted. But in Jesus, we have everything we need. We already possess everything. Redemption, forgiveness, grace, salvation, revelation, every spiritual blessing, adoption, and inheritance, the sealing of the Holy Spirit, access to the throne, peace with the Father, presence, power, etc. All through what Jesus did for you through his life, death, and resurrection, which paved the way for the gift of his spirit. Do you recognize the blessings that you already possess once your name is written in heaven? Because that's all, that's all connected to your name being written in heaven. You know, your spiritual status in Christ his basis for joy, whatever your spiritual achievements may or may not be. And when was the last time that you simply rejoiced in that relationship? 
Maybe, uh, maybe you, you sense there's a theme going on here, right? When was the last time you rejoiced in that relationship? You know, we, we focus so much on what we do. And we focus so much on what needs to be done. And we focus so much on achievements that are either done or not done. But when was the last time we just simply paused to think about the relationship that we have with our Lord? And what's been available to us through that. Now, in this case, he says, the spirits are subject to you. Now, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty cool. But he says, it's nothing compared to your name being written in heaven. And the greatest possession we have is likewise what we're most likely to take for granted. And that's our relationship to Jesus. And, you know, you think about that. And why is that? It's because we feel so confident in it. You ever notice that? Who, who is it that you take most for granted or become most complacent with? The, the ones you know the best. The ones you take for granted. The ones that you never question whether they're going to love you or not. Isn't that true? How often do we take this relationship for granted because we know he loves us. He's never going to leave us nor forsake us. And we just kind of slip into a, a complacency. Even though there's nothing more important and valuable. Now, as we uh, uh, go into this next part of the text, this is where it's going to get really fun, right? So you guys uh, put on your boots, right? Because this is going to be the tough part. Uh, God is sovereign in salvation, yet we're responsible for our response. Now, in verse 21, just the first part of it, he says, In that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Now, seldom, seldom do we actually read about Jesus rejoicing, but in that same hour, right, he rejoices in the Holy Spirit, and that leads him to give thanks to the Father, which is where the verses are going to take us. Now, in that same hour, it connects us to his rejoicing to what came before, right? The missionaries' reports, the fact that they belong to him, the fact that their names are written in heaven. Now, what follows will link his rejoicing with the Father's will and revealing insight into the kingdom as well as... Uh, it will take us into the theological quagmire. Uh, you know, that, it was a word that popped into my head as I was doing this, so I thought, well, that's kind of a fancy word, you know. Uh, you know, it's going to be awkward. It's going to be complex. It's going to be hazardous. We're going we're to wade into a few verses, right, where there's a lot of debate over some of the theology behind it. So he goes on. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So there's joy in service. That's verses 17 and 9 through 19. There's joy in salvation. Your name's written in heaven, verse 20. And there's rejoicing in God's sovereignty, right? Verses 21 through 24. Now, here's where we get into the quagmire, right? How is that sovereignty expressed? It says, you have hidden this from the wise and understanding and revealed it to little children. Now, saving knowledge, you know, as we think about the saving knowledge of Jesus, you, you can't attain that through your intellectual capacity. You're not going to figure it out on your own. You're not going to get there through your own study and your own wisdom and your own direction, right? Uh, when we think about uh, revelation and, and Jesus, what we need, it only comes through revelation, right, through his revelation. And these verses are going to highlight the unique status of Jesus. So he says... Um, Verse 22, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, right? So we see the unique status of Jesus, which sets him apart as the only one who can reveal the Father. So he goes on, and, the son, uh, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So divine revelation is delivered through Jesus. Jesus is uniquely positioned to give divine revelation. Did you see that? That's a pretty good little catch one. Now, that's the easy part. What about this part about hidden this from the wise and understanding and revealed it to little children? Now, we have our Presbyterian who's all ears right now, right? Now, there's a similar passage. You know, uh, it's, not, it's not a parallel passage per se. It's a different context, but we'll, we'll hear very similar language. And it's from Matthew 11, 25 through 27. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, sound familiar? And revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. That's Matthew eleven twenty-five through 27. Sound familiar? 
All right, so does anybody know what verse 28 says? Very good. Yeah, I, I'm, so, I'm so ashamed, Dave, that you let Don beat you to the punch. Right? So in Matthew's account, we see the passage is followed by an open invitation. Right? So we see God's sovereign in Revelation. We also see an open invitation. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, right? And I'll give you rest. Now, if we go to Matthew 23, 37... Uh, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not. This is pause for emphasis, right? And you were not willing. He doesn't say you were not unable, that you were unable. He says you were not willing. Right? This is the response part. We're responsible for our response, uh, as well as the come to me. Right uh, Now, similarly, in John 7, people are divided over Jesus. You can go back and read the text. We've already covered it in our chronological study. But in John 7, people are divided over Jesus. And Jesus says in verse 17, if anyone's will is to do God's will, then he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking of my own authority. Right? So right now I'm just wanting to keep the waters muddy for you, okay? Because we have hidden this from the wise and understanding, revealed it to little children. Uh, so let's just keep the water uh, muddy because that's kind of, it gives me job security, right? If you guys are confused, then you, you'll keep looking for. So Matthew 13, 16, and 17 is a little bit of a different context, but it resembles Luke 20, uh, 10, 23 through 24. And leading up to it, Jesus is explaining why he spoke in parables and that it was to fulfill a prophecy from Isaiah. So I want to zero, I'm going to zero in on just verse 15 of Matthew 13. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And now this is the point that I want to emphasize. Their eyes, they have closed. Right? Their eyes they have closed. Thus they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Now, uh, now I say all this just to say, just to say this. We're not going to settle the predestination free will debate here. Right? That, that is a much lengthier conversation, a lot more to consider. Uh, all I want to do is I'm making this point. God is sovereign in, revelation, in salvation and, and revelation. But we are responsible for our response. And we see this tension that runs throughout scriptures. God is sovereign, there is no doubt. But yet there's a sense in which we're accountable for how we respond to his revelation in and through Jesus. Now Stein writes, and I, and I quote, that the verb have hidden can have an active meaning as in the case of Pharaoh in, in Exodus 7 and Mark 4, or it can have a passive or concessive sense in which God has permitted the arrogant to remain in their sin-induced blindness. So, so uh, the tense can have an active sense to it or a passive sense, right? The passive sense would be hidden from those who are relying on their own wisdom and understanding rather than humbly receiving salvation. Uh, in other words, little children. Those who are not reliant on their own wisdom and understanding but humbly seeking and open. Now, here's where I'm going to throw out the real fun one, because this is, this is from uh, R.C. Sproul, who is definitely Calvinist, definitely predestination, right? Very, very strong on that sense. And here's what R.C. Sproul wrote on this particular passage. He says, this passage has been misconstrued to mean that Jesus was saying that the gospel has been given to the uneducated and hidden from the educated. But that's not the point. Nor is that always true, right? So Saul will, will get the gospel, and he was very heavily educated. He goes on to say, Rather it means those who are babes in their spirit, who have an open heart, who are eager to hear the will of the Father, who hang on every word that is proclaimed. Jesus is glad that those enjoy the fruits, uh, that those enjoy the fruits of these gifts rather than the proud of the world who have no time for humbling themselves before the Father. So R.C. Sproul, who definitely leans in one direction, he's pointing out the more of the passive sense here that it's not about it 
the wise not being able, it's about the wise being unwilling. And that you have to come as little children in order to receive. Uh, this is a, a, a this was found on MSN. I, I found it on a preacher illustration site. You know, I don't always come up with these things on my own, right? I, I, I dig and I look and I look around. So, uh, but I thought this was kind of fits in well here. Uh, Mensa uh, is an organization whose members have an IQ of 140 or higher. And a few years ago, there was a Mensa convention in San Francisco, and several members lunched at a local cafe. And so while dining, they discovered that their salt shaker contained pepper, and their pepper shaker was full of salt. How could they swap the contents of the bottles without spilling and using only the implements at hand? Clearly, this was a job for Mensa. So the group debated and presented ideas and finally came up with a brilliant solution involving a napkin, a straw, and an empty saucer. And they called the waitress over to dazzle her with their solution. Ma'am, they said, we couldn't help but notice that the pepper shaker contained salt and the salt shaker... Oh, the waitress interrupted. Sorry about that. And she unscrewed the caps of both bottles and switched them. You know, intelligence doesn't replace good old-fashioned common sense, does it? But it can stand in the way of it. God is sovereign in revelation and salvation. But he has revealed himself through Jesus to those who do not arrogantly trust in their own wisdom and understanding, but humbly seek him. And we cannot come to Jesus apart from the grace of God. And yet we are accountable for whether we accept or reject that grace is given to us in Jesus. Those who accept it having their names written in heaven. And for those whose names are written in heaven, Jesus does get intimate and personal. Verses 23 and 24, he turns to the disciples and says to them privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. You know, you have, uh, he says, you, you have been privileged to see the Messiah, to witness his works, to hear direct revelation from God through the Son, to experience the fulfillment of promises that have been centuries in the making, all of that which the Old Testament points forward to, that to which Peter will add in 1 Peter 1.12, that even the angels long to look at. Now, if you're like me, uh, You've probably at some point uh, thought, you know, how great it would have been to experience some of the things that Israel experienced. Well, not, uh, man does not like, well, we already knew that you weren't like me, right? We're, we're, we're the epitome of opposites attract. That's what we are, right? Uh, but, I mean, think about what, what would it have been like to experience the parting of the Red Sea? Well, where'd you think I was going to go? Oh, no, I don't want the bad stuff. I don't. I, I don't need the, the I don't need the uh, snakes in the desert, right? But the parting of the Red Sea wouldn't that have been cool? Wouldn't that have been something to see the parting of the Red Sea? <laughs> how about how many of you have ever thought you know it would be really cool if God just gave me a burning bush experience? <laughs> Terrifying. Yeah. See, now that's the other side of it, isn't it? Jesus says that what the disciples have, that what we have, that what you have in Christ is far greater than anything Abraham or Moses or Elijah or David experienced. Think about it. That's what he's saying. What you have is far greater. These are the things that they only long to see. He says, nevertheless... Do not rejoice in this, but the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Do you realize the blessings that you possess, the incalculable, invaluable, priceless possession of having your name written in heaven if you have faith in Jesus Christ? In your bulletins, you have a communication card, and we invite you to think about how God might be speaking to your heart this morning uh, and we encourage you to, to throw that in the offering baskets as, as part of your worship, as part of your next steps of how you uh, intend to respond to him. 
As we uh, uh, come to uh, a time of communion and, and stewardship, uh, Jesus says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You know, your names are not written in heaven due to any extraordinary endeavor on your part, nor are your names written in heaven uh, because of any amazing achievement that you've accomplished in life, nor are your names written in heaven because of some stupendous sacrifice that you've made in the doing of, of good works. In fact, having your name written in heaven uh, has nothing to do with what you do. It has everything to do with what's been done for you through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has done for us what we could not do for ourselves, that we might be saved by grace through faith as a gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one may boast, Ephesians uh, 2, 8, and 9. May we not take for granted his sacrifice and all that that means for us as we come to the Lord's table, but rather may we consider how we will respond to such a tremendous gift that has been given to us through our next steps and our stewardship. So I want to remind you that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you'll proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let us pray. Oh, most gracious and loving Father, truly it is exciting to see you work in and through us. It's exciting to see the things that you're doing in the world around us. It's exciting to see you touch lives and to set people free. Sometimes we get so focused on what's being done that we lose sight of the great work that you've already done for us. So as we come to this table, may we recognize the thing is that is of utmost importance is that our name be written in heaven in the Lamb's book of life because of what you've done for us through Jesus Christ. May our faith in him be solid, and may we stand upon that foundation as we seek to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.
we wanted to just continue to lift up his name. That's I, I just am feeling led today to just praise <coughs> him and thank him for all the things that he has done for us. Uh, there are days when it seems hard to continue on, and then I remember that he endured so much more, and he did it with me in, in mind, So uh, and you in mind. <laughs> and so I am so thankful. Would you please stand? We are going to close today with Jesus Paid It All. you go forth today, spend some time reflecting on what it means to have your name written in heaven, not because of anything that you have done, but because of what he has done for you. So don't take it for granted, but rejoice in what is most greatly to be treasured, and that is a relationship with the Father through the Son. Go in his name and with his peace. Amen. <laughs>